Thank you to our music team. Our children can be dismissed at this time for nursery and children's ministry. And let me ask the rest of you, if you would please open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. It's, it's good to be back with you. I was, uh, got to spend some time in Florida at a training weekend at a friend's church down there and also got to visit uh, the the friend I mentioned in Miami a few weeks ago who's planting a church from another church that was planted by our mentor, uh, so it was a good time. Got to go paddle boarding and fell in and scurried back to my board so that no sharks ate me as well. It happens. Mark chapter 6, as we continue back to our study of the gospel according to Mark, uh, this morning we come back to this story of Mark's account of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we pick it back up where Jesus now feeds the 5,000, a very familiar miracle story of what the God who created all things can do with just five loaves and two fish. It's another story that teaches us about the identity of who Jesus is based on what Jesus does. I think it holds for us the fulfillment of Psalm 23. And we see here that Jesus is the shepherd who leaves you truly satisfied. If you would please follow along with me as I read Mark chapter 6. This morning we'll look at verses 31 to 44, but for context's sake I'll read verse 30 through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truths of your word. We thank you that although you did not have to record the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you did. And you have faithfully transmitted it down to us so that we now hold it in our hands. So that we can study it and know it. So that we can live it. And so that we can enjoy it. 
We pray, O God, that as we come to your word, you would help us to have humble hearts that are truly seeking to know and follow Jesus Christ. We certainly want to gain information as we study your word, but we understand, Lord, that the pinnacle of your word, the point of your word, is not to teach us facts, but to reveal a person, to reveal you. We thank you that your word is revelation of who you are. We thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you, Lord, that in the midst of a world where there are bad shepherds, you come as the good shepherd, the true shepherd who truly satisfies. Lord, you and you alone know the condition of each person's soul here this morning. We would simply ask that you shepherd us. Whatever needs there are, whatever our circumstances are, teach us to look to you. We thank you for the ways in which you have given us to care for one another, but we realize very quickly that our own resources and our own capacities are limited that we run out of things and we simply don't have enough of what is needed. But we praise you that you never run out. Not only do you have enough of what is needed, you have more than what is needed. And every time you give from your abundance, it never depletes your resources. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. We pray that you would put it on display as you see as you show us Jesus, the shepherd, who truly satisfies. We believe what you say, Lord, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so together we say, speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the many gifts that the Bible gives to us are metaphors, pictures of who God is like, words that describe who God is and what God does. You think of metaphors like our God is a rock. As we think about the sure foundation that God provides for his people and the protecting refuge that he gives to us. You think about other metaphors used for God. God is a shield. God is a father, although that points more specifically to his identity in his triunity. We could run through the list of many different metaphors that God uses to describe himself in the Bible, and every one of them are sweet. But perhaps the most often used And the sweetest of those metaphors is that of shepherd. The Bible over and over again shows God as a shepherd who provides for his people, who protects his people, who leads his people, who is constantly with his people, who never abandons his people even though his people are tempted to think so. I think the most beautiful picture of this 
shepherding care that is demonstrated by God comes to us in Psalm 23. And I'm very glad that Les was the one to read it this morning. Don't you love when he reads the scriptures to us? I don't mean to embarrass you, brother, but we truly appreciate it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I love Les's translation. Don't have it memorized quite yet, but it was something like, the Lord is my shepherd. I will never lack anything. That's literally what this Hebrew word means. I shall not want means I shall not ever be in need of anything because the Lord is my shepherd. That's exactly what David is describing as he pours out his own heart to describe the very heart of God. Not only was this a spiritual way of God caring for his people from his throne in heaven, but it was also a physical way that God would care for his people as he established shepherds for his people Israel. Moses was considered to be the shepherd of Israel as he cared for God's flock. Joshua was considered to be the shepherd of God's flock as he took the the baton from Moses and continued the care of God's people. And then of course there's David, perhaps the best of all human shepherds in the entire Old Testament. Every single one of the kings of Israel was to be a shepherd and yet we recognize, as is so often the case, they failed in their duties. While God never fails in his ability and his care for his people, Sometimes the people that God appoints fail in their ability to care for God's people. And we can lament that. Certainly it would be appropriate, but the reality is every human being has limitations, which is what makes it so much more sweet to hear God say, I am your shepherd. Ezekiel chapter 34 describes for us the wicked condition of the shepherds of Israel as they were tasked with the specific responsibility, the duty, the privilege even to care for the flock that belonged not to them, but to God. And it describes for us, it paints for us a very clear and accurate picture of what it was like in the days of Jesus. What the spiritual condition of Israel was like in the days of Jesus. How the shepherds of Israel completely failed to care for God's flock. Ezekiel 34, 1-6, you can certainly turn there if you'd like, but I think it would be more helpful if you just listen and take it in. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick 
you have not healed. The injured, you have not bound up. The strayed, you have not brought back. The lost, you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled over them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. God rebukes the shepherds and he describes the spiritual condition of Israel in the days of Ezekiel and the spiritual condition of Israel that would continue on throughout the days into the very days of Jesus Christ himself. Yet while there was bad news for the shepherds, there was good news for the flock. God continues in verse seven, he says, therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, Surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God behold I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search out for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. God had a word of rebuke for the shepherds, but he had a word of encouragement for the sheep. He declares to them that although they have had pathetic excuses for leaders, he himself would shepherd them. He would seek and save the lost. He would find them and he would gather them to be his people. He would feed them and he would heal them. Does that sound familiar to you? 
You see, this is not just a promise that God, of something that God will do in the future. Certainly, it will culminate in the future. But this is the reality of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he says, I have came to seek and to save that which is lost, he's referring to Ezekiel 34. He is the true shepherd who truly satisfies. This is not some obscure prophecy of God. This is Jesus. And so as we come then to Mark chapter 6, and we see this shepherd do exactly what he said he would do, I want you to keep that in mind. Normally, I'll give you an outline and it's up on the screen and you follow along because that's what you do. Today, I want to just leave you with one thought to meditate on. As we walk through this passage, I want you to think simply of this, that Jesus is the true shepherd who truly satisfies We come then to the feeding of the 5,000. Next to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is the only miracle which all four Gospels contain. Needless to say, it is important. It is significant. There are all sorts of ways in which this points us back to the Old Testament, back to prophecy, back to the fulfillment of of a better Moses and a better Elijah And while we could certainly walk through all sorts of details, I want to be as simple and as clear as possible. I want you to see that if Jesus is your shepherd, you shall never want. I want you to see that Jesus is the true shepherd who truly satisfies. So let's walk through this passage. The context begins in verse 30. The apostles had just returned from their mission that Jesus had sent them out on to go and preach the gospel, to heal and to cast out demons. They've come back. They've reported to Jesus all that they had done, the good news. And then in verse 31, Jesus has a wonderful idea for them. It says, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Jesus' shepherding care for his disciples immediately initiates when he sees that they've come back and they're tired. They've been under the rigors of nonstop ministry. If you've ever served in ministry, you know how tiring it is. You're constantly giving, 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 giving. And so Jesus, as the shepherd, even of his disciples, says to them, hey guys, let's get out of here. Let's take a break. And you'll notice he's already emphasized, and he'll do it again, that they should come away by themselves to a desolate place. He gives the reason in the second half of verse 31. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. We saw this back in Mark chapter 3, that next to Jesus, following Jesus, the disciples were so busy, they didn't even have enough time to stop and eat. And so Jesus cares for them. He's their shepherd. He's concerned even about their physical needs. He knows that that's not sustainable. So he says, let's go away. We need to rest. 
Verse 32 says, And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Or at least that was the intention. To go by themselves. To be away from everyone. To be away from the busyness of ministry. To be away from the demands of following Jesus. To rest with Jesus. To be with Jesus. And yet surely Jesus, the one who knows all things, knew exactly what was going to happen. Verse 33 tells us, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. That was the, that was the desperation that all the people had. They wanted to be where Jesus was. Likely it was for a mixed reasons, mixed motives were involved in this. Jesus was healing, Jesus was casting out demons. Who wouldn't want to be with someone who could truly do that? But I would remind you of what the crowds, what the people of Israel were most impressed with as we saw back in Mark chapter one. Certainly they were impressed with his healing and his, his exorcisms, but they were most impressed with his teaching. They had never heard anyone teach the way that Jesus taught. And so they wanted to be around him. It's kind of like when someone gets saved and they discover that there's a whole plethora of good and bad, but good sermons available online. What do they do? They download sermon after sermon after sermon because they just want to be taught. They just want to know more about Jesus. And so the crowds run ahead of them. And Mark doesn't care to tell us how it was that they got ahead of them. He doesn't care to tell us where it was that they went. Luke tells us, but it doesn't really matter to Mark's account. The reality is the intention was to go and rest, but the people beat them there. Verse 34 tells us, as it moves the attention off of the crowds, off of the disciples, and you'll notice, puts the attention squarely on Jesus and his own actions, which is what Mark loves to do. When he went ashore, he being Jesus, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Jesus saw this great crowd that had followed him, at least, as we know from verse 34, at least 5,000 people, though Matthew tells us that it was 5,000 men besides women and children, 10 to 20,000 people perhaps. Jesus looks out on this crowd as soon as he steps out on the shore and his heart breaks for them. This word compassion is the word that indicates the feeling that rose up in his bowels. You know what it's like when your heart goes out to someone, don't you? You see a situation or a circumstance that breaks your heart and you feel it. And you think somebody's got to do something about this. It's going to be me. This is what Jesus felt for this crowd as he looked out on them. And saw them for what they were. Sheep with no shepherd. The shepherds of Israel had failed in their duties. They had been failing for hundreds of years. 
They were supposed to care for God's flock. They were supposed to teach God's flock. They were supposed to encourage God's flock, to heal them with the soothing balm of the gospel. But instead, the Pharisees loved to be first. The Sadducees didn't even believe that there would be a resurrection. Rome had taken over Israel, and Israel had long been under bondage. Jesus sees the people. They didn't even recognize what they looked like. They just thought, here's Jesus. He can give us what we need. But Jesus looked past their circumstances and saw their souls. He saw that they had no leader. He saw that they had no purpose. He saw that they had no organization or direction in their life whatsoever. They were just living for thing after thing after thing. And Jesus, the shepherd who had come to gather his people together and to feed his people and to heal his people and to restore his people, looks out on these thousands of people and his heart breaks. What, turned, what was supposed to be a time of respite turned out to be a time of ministry. Because the need that the people had was greater than the disciples' need for rest. You don't always need as much rest as you think you do. Now, you also can't go and go forever because you will literally die. But one of the great lessons that Jesus is teaching his disciples and teaching his disciples is that God takes your little bit and uses it for exactly what he needs it to be useful for. When you offer yourself to God and say, God, this is all I have, Jesus says, it's enough. I'll take it from here. Is this not why Paul says that we are just jars of clay designed with built-in weakness to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us? You see, while the prosperity gospel The gospel of Satan would want you to think that the Christian life is all about triumph and victory. Following the Lord Jesus Christ, a crucified, suffering Savior, is all about suffering. And yet it's a suffering that he uses to show the gospel and to remind us and to remind the world that the power of Christianity does not depend on Christians. The power of Christianity depends on the Christ of the Christians. And so Jesus gets to work. He sees the people. He sees no leadership. He sees no direction. He sees them bouncing from one thing to the next. And isn't that what he saw when he picked you? Wasn't that how your life was when Jesus saved you? When Jesus called you to be his? When he picked you up and set you on his shoulders? Maybe you had a well thought out plan, but you had realized that nothing in this world matters as much as your soul matters. You were perhaps bouncing from one thing to another. You were feeling as if you had no leadership, no purpose, no cause. You wondered what in the world is life supposed to be all about? And then Jesus said, Come with me and I'll show you. 
I wonder if there's anybody here that's feeling that way even right now. You're here today because you think there's got to be something more to this. I remember vividly writing a letter in Iraq to one of my relatives, realizing that I was missing something with Christianity. I had grown up in the church. I had thought I was a Christian. I prayed the prayer I don't know how many times. And yet, as the realities of a fallen world and death were all around me, I realized deep in the pit of my gut, there's something that I'm missing and I just don't know what it is. And then a couple of years later, when I was back in Iraq, the Lord opened my eyes to realize that what it was that I was missing was the Lord himself. You see, I had thought that Jesus was supposed to help me accomplish what I wanted to do. And I realized that that's not how God works. I realized that I was a nothing and a nobody. Didn't matter what flag was on my arm. Didn't matter whose army I was in. It didn't matter what nation I was from. The reality was I was a nothing and a nobody, a sinner. But you know what? Those are the people that Jesus loves. Those are the people whom Jesus came to save. The nothings and the nobodies, the sinners. And so if that's how you have come here this morning, I want you to see this shepherd I want you to see that Jesus is the true shepherd who satisfies. And if you have come here knowing that already, then I want you to go deeper and deeper into the realities of that. Jesus looks out and he has compassion. His heart goes out to the people. And what does Mark tell us? What does he emphasize for us was the direct result of Jesus' compassion. It wasn't first their feeding, or at least their physical feeding. It was first and foremost their spiritual feeding. Jesus taught them many things. Or it could even be translated, Jesus taught them for a long time. Jesus looks out on this crowd, sees them as sheep without a shepherd, and instinctively knows what they need. And what they needed most was the teaching that Jesus Christ came to give. That the time had come. The kingdom of God was at hand. They needed to repent and believe the gospel which he came to preach. The king was here. The shepherd was here. Jesus had come for his people. That was what they needed most. Even more than the satisfaction of their bellies. Although Jesus thought that to be also important. It's not as though we can divorce spiritual ministry from physical ministry. They go together. We are not only spiritual or only physical. We are spiritual and physical. We are a soul and a body. We need both spiritual ministry and physical ministry. And no one knows that better than Jesus. So he taught them. And he didn't stop until verse 35 says it grew late. 
And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. You'll notice it's repeated now for the third time. Jesus, we're in the middle of nowhere. This is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus, we've got a problem here. We're out in the middle of the desert. There's no food. We don't have anything to give to them. Let's just take a little break, send them out into the villages, and let them get something to eat. As readers, we understand this was no mere accident. It was no accident that Jesus had led them to a desolate place. It was no accident that they did not have the resources that they needed to meet the needs of the people. This was a setup. In fact, John tells us that this whole thing was to test his disciples. But it wasn't, it wasn't a rebuke that would cast them away. It was a rebuke that would take them deeper into the realities that Jesus is the true shepherd who satisfies. And so Jesus answers in verse 37, but he answered to them, you give them something to eat. And the Greek is emphatic. It's an order. You, you give them something to eat. Picture yourself in that situation. You're in a group of 12 men. And you're surrounded by more than 5,000 people. You have nothing. You're tired. This whole thing was supposed to be a break, a rest, And now, not only is it not a rest, but Jesus has been teaching all day long. It's probably about 4 p.m. or so. The sun's going to go down in just a couple of hours. And not only are you hungry, but the people are hungry. And if you're like me, you're probably a little bit hangry as well. And then Jesus says to them, give them something to eat. you would probably respond with something like they did in verse 38. Uh, excuse me, in verse 37. Shall we, and they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? The question posed back to Jesus highlights the, the ludicrous reality that the disciples thought this was. The impossible task. 200 denarii was 200 days wages. Jesus, should we just somehow manifest 200 days wages and then go and buy these people something to eat? Is is that what you're telling us to do, Jesus? Then verse 38 says, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. I want to point out something to you. The disciples focus was on what they did not have, wasn't it? But where was Jesus' focus? On what they did have. They pointed out they didn't even have 200 denarii worth of bread to give the people. But Jesus says, okay, well, what do you have? Go and check it out. And when you've counted it up, report back to me. And they say five and two fish. Jesus is teaching them just like he's teaching us. 
to not focus on what you don't have, but to focus on what you do have and how the one who has given it to you has promised that you will never lack anything. But we all know how easy it is to focus on what you don't have, isn't it? So verse 39 says, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Now why would Mark point out the color of the grass? Hmm, I wonder. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Mark wants it to be crystal clear to his readers that the Lord of Psalm 23 is Jesus. Verse 40, so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, mimicking the groups that Moses grouped the people of Israel up in the middle of the wilderness, showing that Jesus is the better manna. Jesus is the better Moses. Jesus is the better exodus for the people of God. Verse 41, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Jesus looks up to heaven. He thanks his father with most likely would have been the traditional Jewish blessing, the traditional Jewish offering of thanks to the God who provides all things. He breaks the bread and then he hands it to the disciples to be the ones to distribute the resources that he would multiply. I'm not sure what this would have looked like. Did they simply go back to the one basket where the five loaves and two fish were and just keep grabbing more out? I think it was probably something more like that than all of a sudden, poof, hundreds of baskets of loaves and fish appear. Why would Jesus do that? Because Jesus wanted to show them who he is as the God who creates and provides all things. But he also wanted to show them that their ministry would be one of service to him and to his people. And that his power and his provision would flow through them to his people. The disciples had a difficult task ahead of them in founding the church, didn't they? They needed moments of encouragement like this. They needed to be able to sit around after the resurrection and ascension, when their heads were hung in defeat, when there were times of depression, and they needed to jab each other and say, hey, you remember that time when we were all sitting around and Jesus was teaching like he usually did, and there were over 5,000 people there, and Jesus told us to go feed them, and we thought, Jesus, you're crazy. You remember what Jesus did? And then the rest of them would say, oh, yeah. If he did it then, he'll do it again. We can trust him. And so he distributes it to the disciples who then give it to all the people. And verse 42 says, and they all ate and were satisfied. He restores my soul. Not only did they all eat, 
But from five loaves of bread and two little fish, over 5,000 people ate enough that they said, no thanks, I don't want any more. And then verse 43 says, as if that was not enough, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Do you think it's a coincidence the number of baskets that were taken up corresponded to the number of disciples that Jesus had following him? You see, within this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, is a lesson for the disciples. Okay, are multiple lessons for the disciples. But is a lesson for the disciples. That if Jesus sends them, he will always make sure that they are well provided for. That they will have everything they need, even if they should find themselves singing songs of praise to God in a prison in Philippi, for instance. You see, we, we were tempted to read that they ate and were satisfied through the lens of our materialistic culture and through the lens of bad gospel. It's not as though they walked away rich. It's not as though that they would never have to eat another meal. The, the reality is, a couple hours later, they would be hungry. But the point that Jesus teaches them is that if you follow me, I will provide for you everything you need. Isn't this the point of the scriptures over and over and over again? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do not be anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink. Doesn't your father feed the birds that fly around? Doesn't your father clothe the flowers that are in the field? How much more will he feed and care for you? How much more important are you to the Father than birds that fly and flowers that grow? There is a lesson for this in the disciples, for the disciples. But the reality is, as is so often the case when we read the Gospels, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. In fact, we'll see next week, you can even jump down to uh, chapter 6. Verse 52, or we'll start in 51. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. They didn't get it. I would remind you of the context of this. Where had these disciples just come from that very same day? from returning on their mission to serve Jesus. A mission which he told them to take very little with them. Look back at chapter 6, verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. They had just come from a living lesson that if Jesus sends you out, even with just a little bit, you will have everything you need every time you need it. And yet, 
They're faced with the significance of their problem. Their circumstances blinds them to see the reality of the one who is giving them the command. They can't see that Jesus is the clear provider. They can't see that Jesus is the true shepherd who truly satisfies. But what's Jesus' response to them? He doesn't kick them out and say, you know what, I'm going to start with a bunch of new people. You guys are boneheads. He just patiently teaches. He keeps going with them. Can I just say that's good news for a bunch of boneheads, isn't it? He shows them that he will provide for them when he sends them out. When he brings them into his fold, he is the true shepherd who truly satisfies. And yet, we see that what they demonstrated, as Mark tells us next time, that they had a hardness of heart. They failed to believe that Jesus could do what they thought was impossible. They were faced with impossibility in their circumstances. All we got is five loaves and two fish. And there's 5,000 plus people out there, Jesus. It simply can't be done. And Jesus says, I'll see your five loaves and two fish and raise you in abundance. As a matter of fact, you're going to pick up 12 baskets full to show you that if if I call you, if you follow me, You will always have what you need because I will truly satisfy your every need. So we see then the the lack of faith, the unbelief that the disciples portray in, in the face of the greatness of the shepherd. And I ask you, can there be any other greater sin than unbelief in Jesus? Can can anything be worse than a failure to trust Jesus? The answer is no. There's nothing worse than failing to trust Jesus. And yet, what does Jesus demonstrate? He demonstrates that he's their shepherd, but he demonstrates that he is their shepherd by walking with them all the way to the cross. You see, we need a shepherd for our souls, but we need a shepherd that lays down his life for our sins. Christianity is not what can we get out of God. Christianity is God forgives your sin through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he seals it and validates it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And every promise he has ever given to you then is verifiably true. And so a failure to trust that is ugly. And yet, lest we be too hard on the disciples, don't we see ourselves in the disciples? Don't we find the same temptation in us? Jesus, I'm looking at my bank account this month, or perhaps even lack thereof, and I'm not seeing how it's going to work. Jesus, I'm looking at my sin And I've been battling this sin for 10 years now, and I'm just not seeing how I'm ever going to get over it. Jesus, I want this person's soul to be saved. I've been praying and praying and pleading, save them, Lord. 
And it just doesn't seem like they're going to get it. Jesus, I'm such a miserable wreck. I don't like myself. My personality is blah. I don't have a whole lot of skills. There's really nothing that I can offer to you, Jesus. And yet, what does Jesus say? Just give me what you've got. It's enough. I'll take it and I'll use it for my purposes. Turns out we're a lot like the disciples, aren't we? And yet that's the very people whom Jesus has come to shepherd. It's those very people, people like us, whom Jesus has come to seek and save. So I would ask you, friend, have you been sought out and saved by Jesus? What's happening right here is that very thing. This is Jesus through one of his disciples seeking you in order to save you. Will you respond? Will you repent of your sin and will you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you surrender your life to this shepherd, the true shepherd who truly satisfies? Because if you do, you will find it is a sweet life. It is a hard life. But Jesus gives us what we need most. We praise God for this shepherd, not only who meets our physical needs by providing for us everything we need, but most especially by meeting our spiritual needs and being the substitute in our place, the one who paid for our sins. Peter calls Jesus the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. He says that we were like sheep straying, but we've now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Have you returned? And if you have returned, then in Jesus, you have the true shepherd who truly satisfies. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a gift it is to know you. Oh, what a gift. No preacher could possibly explain your glory. No ear could possibly comprehend your glory. And so we're so grateful for the supernatural power of your word and the power of your spirit. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to these truths ever more deeply. Open the eyes of those who may still be blind, who may still not be gathered into the care of this shepherd. Jesus, take them up now into your care. Lord, for those of us whom you have taken into your care, forgive us for all the times that we fail to trust you and help us to delight in your forgiveness. Your rebukes come and they sting, but then comes the sweetness of the gospel. That if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We are unrighteous, Lord, but you are the cleanser of the unrighteous. 
We look not to ourselves or to our own merits or to our own sin. We look to you in your beauty and your righteousness. And we praise you that you are the true shepherd who truly satisfies. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.